Welcome everyone to the Company of the Cat. I am Bloodbeard's replacement and the host of this show where I try to understand the real stories behind the legends of the world of ice and fire by looking at the real, mythical or fictional events that inspired them. In the first episode I will talk about Garth Greenhands and the Weirwoods. And quick disclaimer before everything, I am not a native English speaker so I really hope the accent is bearable. But anyway, if you're interested, let's dive in. What exactly do we know about Garth? From the world book we get two main stories about him. In the first one he was a man in the first hiking of Westeros and in the second one, the more interesting one, he was described as a Kernunos-like god, a spirit of nature, of trees and fertility, a vegetation deity of some sort. And I think that both stories are correct. To understand more, we need to take a look at the religion of the old gods and real-life, mostly Proto-Indo-European mythologies and religions. Deities and godlike figures were and still are a way to explain things that humans cannot grasp. The earliest religion in our world were about natural phenomena, life and death. And this is the case in the novels too. We have Garth, the sea god, Mother Oin, the storm god, and these are only some of the nature gods we have in the books. In this universe though, there is a small and very, very important addition. Magic. People try to explain the wonders of nature with magic being a part of them. Something that makes us theorize that these stories hold some truth to them. Horns and antlers, virility, fertility, trees are all associated with gods like Kernunos and Pan and in the World of Ice and Fire universe with Garth and characters like him. The best example of a Garth-like figure, in my opinion, is the former king and father of 16, Robert Baratheon. Ned described young Robert as tall and handsome, with a great antlered helm on his head, a warhammer in hand, and sitting on his horse like a horned dog. No, <laughs> like a horned god. <laughs> Not that the first one is wrong, though. Robert is the descendant of the Storm Kings and the person that brought justice to Westeros with his hammer, according to singers. And our author connected a fertility green-powered deity with a Storm Lord holding a hammer and not, let's say, with a house from the Reeds that we know for a fact are from the line of Garth. On first glance, it's quite a weird connection to make. But Storm, Thunder and Sky Gods are the direct evolution of the forest fertility gods mentioned above. To give an example, most of Pan's attributes were given to Zeus in many cases throughout Hellenistic period Greece. Most Sky Gods like Zeus, Thor, Perun, Perkunas are also fertility harvest and farming gods and it makes sense because moving forward from smaller hunter-gatherer societies to bigger agrarian ones, people started to care about the weather since it's very important to the harvest circle. A rich forest wasn't their main food income anymore and in addition, a bigger settlement demands for a more specific law system. And this is why, in all Indo-European cultures, these deities were known as the chief or king of the gods along with god of law, order and justice with common symbols being thunderbolts, hammers, horned animals, birds and oak trees. The physical appearance of Garth reminds us of, god of gods like Pan and Kernunos, but the description we have is a deity closer to the sky gods mentioned before. Garth was not a wild forest deity, he was a human helper, a harvest god 
that taught them how to work the earth and helped them build bigger communities. He united them. The best way to describe him would be something between the lightning gods and the Dagda. The Dagda was a father figure god, a king and a druid for Irish people. He too was associated with fertility, agriculture, manliness and strength, as well as with magic, druidity and wisdom. He could control life, death, the weather, the crops, as well as the time and the seasons. And something very interesting is that Robert, our direct Garth parallel, has many of the personality traits all these gods have. The Dagda, despite his great power and wisdom, was often depicted as oafish and crude and, this is a quote here, he was seen dragging his great penis on the ground for fuck's sake. (laughs) Zeus is also Zeus and is described similarly. He was wise and just, but Isiodos also described him as a carefree god who loved to laugh out loud, that also was falling in love very easily and had many affairs with various women, which is an understatement. All storm gods are also unpredictable and easy to anger, so if there was a human king equivalent to Garth at Dawn Age, I would suggest a person like Robert. Moving to the Iron Islands for a little bit, we see that there is a storm god in their mythology, and is the antagonist. Obviously, the information we have is from Ironborn characters, and they are biased as hell, but they believed him to be a spiteful god that hates them and their craft and wants to destroy them. But considering their culture, it makes sense. They are a seafaring society, so unlike the farmers of the reeds that live in bigger towns with a more or less fixed legal system that need water for their crops, the Ironborn live on sailing and plundering. A storm while on the sea it's clearly not the best, and their sense of justice is vastly different than that of the people around them. The ruler house, House Greyjoy, even has the motto we do not sow, which is the exact opposite of what the rest of the first men at Donate did. Ironborn are also resentful towards trees and ravens that they consider creatures of the storm god. Ravens are probably the creatures most often associated with the religion of the old gods, so a tie with the storm god link him and the Garth deity to the old gods and the weirwoods. This is why Garth, the storm god, the lord of the skies that we see in the Three Sisters, and the old gods are different aspects of the same power. And that brings us to one symbol that every fertility god, storm god, and Garth himself have in common. The oak. Throughout the major cultures of Europe, people have held the oak tree in really, really high esteem and in each case was associated with the supreme god in their pantheon. Oak trees were connected with fertility gods because they can improve the quality of the soil, but also they were associated with sky gods since they are more prone to lightning strikes than most trees. This is because of two reasons. First, the tree has really high water content and two, They are frequently the tallest living things in the landscape. Ancient kings presented themselves as the personification of these gods, and we see this in the books too. They took on the responsibility not only for success in battle, but also for the fertility of the land, which relied on rainfall and the restoration of justice. They wore crowns of oak leaves as a symbol of the god they represented as kings on earth. 
People connected the longevity of these trees to wisdom and sought the advice of these trees when making important decisions. Druids held their gatherings in oak groves and Slavs settled dispute before old oak trees and hoped that the wisdom from the trees would help them resolve the dispute justly. And that wasn't exclusive to Europeans only, because Native American tribes also held important meetings under old and large oak trees. Greeks made the oak tree in Dodoni an oracle, and they believed that through the rustling of the leaves, the priests could hear the judgment of Zeus, linking oaks with prophecies and the gods' words. And even though the most known tree of life, Yggdrasil, was a yew tree, Many of other cultures have the same archetype, with the tree being an oak, because of its deep roots that penetrate deep into the underworld, and its branches that reach the sky. And they are even myths about the souls of the dead going deep into the roots of the tree. The reason for all these myths is the biology of the oak tree, which is very impressive. We are talking about 600 species, with almost all of them having the lifespan of centuries, and some trees can even reach over 1000 years. Oaks are categorized into two main types, uh, red and white oaks, but I want to focus on the red ones mostly. Red oak varieties have jacked leaves with pointy tips, as well as a smoother bark. The leaves have 5 to 11 lobes, it depends on the species, and they turn to a brilliant and vibrant bloody red color in autumn, and they fall in winter. Oaks are dying also part by part and not the whole tree as one, which is crazy. But for sure, the most interesting part is the root system. The roots are very, very strong, invasive, and extend to a, dra- to a great distance underground compared to the tree canopy. They arise from only one acorn that contains only one seed, and they grow to an extensive system. The roots spread around five times the diameter of the tree's crown, and if more than one oak tree of the same species is growing side by side, they can share a root system. And knowing all of this, oaks sound very similar to weirwoods, and suddenly all the oak references in the books make sense. We have oak trees instead of weirwoods in southern godwoods, but Ned still felt the gods when he was praying. We have the custom of burying the dead with acorns so maybe an oak grows in their place, or burying them close to oak trees in the riverlands. The oak at Penny Tree seemed to be very old and important around there. People make wishes, leave copper pennies, and hope that the tree will fulfill these wishes. Various historical magical figures, castles and houses are connected with oaks. Garth and House Gardener are some of them. When the ghost of Highheart was talking about the old gods, she gave us a simile the oaks, same as Bloodraven when Bran was asking him about the trees. The oak on Moldstown not only had a face curved on it, it was described as furious and ready to get out of the earth and fight. Even the small prayer that Dank is saying throughout the novels, Oak and Iron guard me well or else I'm dead and doomed to hell, hits differently, specially paired with his shield and his horse's name, which was Thunder. In the fandom, the theory that weirwoods are whited trees has been around for some time now, and it has a base. Weirwoods don't look immortal, they look undead. The faces are sad or angry, they are barren, because we don't see any seeds, and nobody knows how you can plant one. Stories around Westeros, especially in Iron Islands, a place with a very specific and unique mythology, 
that is pretty unaffected by the rest of Westerosi suggests that at some point the children of the forest turned the trees to warriors. The word turn suggests transformation. Weirwoods were normal trees at first, and I'm gonna bet that they were oaks. Oaks are huge trees, sturdy, useful, can live for centuries, are very very old tree species, and on top of that, oak trees are keystone species, meaning they are trees that entire ecosystems depend on them for survival and habitat. The paste Bran had also tested like acorn paste, linking the weirwoods with oaks once again. The children of the forest believe in nature being magical as a whole, and as Brynden said, they believe the trees are the gods. We saw in Essos and in the Kingdom of the Woodwalkers, there are carved faces on different trees and the weirwoods are not a thing there. We even have faces on other trees and on stone in underground caverns in Westeros. So it was something common and not exclusive to weirwoods. Their gods were the gods of the forest, stream and stone, the old gods whose name are secret. This is what Maester Lewin said to Bran and Jodzen confirmed it. And in the same paragraph, we are also told that they carved faces on every tree on the Isle of Faces so the gods might bear witness to the signing. It sounds like every tree was given a face, and not only the weirwoods. We also know that their wise men were called greenseers. And why? <laughs> why call them greenseers? Yes, I know the powers are connected with the forest, but they are not connected with every tree, at least we don't see them to be connected with every tree. They are connected specifically with weirwoods, and weirwoods don't have a drop of green on them, except if the trees were indeed green at some point. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth, even if they look dead above, underneath were strong. Majority of oaks are not evergreen, so most likely they were not as strong or active in autumn than in winter. Winter or fall though, the roots are strong and magic down there was very powerful no matter what. This is why the children of the forest went underground in winter and in general when they were in trouble. If the trees were not strong above half of the time, then I doubt the greensears were. If we take a look at Bran's cave, we see it was packed with bones and skulls. It looks like catacombs. On either side of them, they were skulls that, that looked down on them. Bran saw a bear skull, a wolf skull and half a dozen human skulls and near as many giants. And the rest were small, queerly formed that they were from children of the forest. And the roots of the trees had grown in, around and through every single one of these skulls. They became part of that godhood because they were literally on the roots of the trees, like in the oak myths around Europe. And I would bet the oldest parts of the crypts in Winterfell looked like that too and the dead were connected to their heart tree. To me it sounds like the children of the forest whited the oaks before the winter, meaning at some point in autumn, because they were desperate, they were not alone anymore, humans were burning and cutting down trees, and if the trees above were not active all year around and they didn't have any control, they didn't know what else to do, so they froze the trees in time as well as the power in the trees. 
Having said all this, Garth the Green sounds like a more poetic way to describe an oak tree. Five lobed leaves look like hands, weirwood leaves are described like that all the time, and the leaves in general look like the hair of the tree. The naked branches in winter also resemble antlers. He lived a very, very long life and he was dying every autumn along with the trees because he was indeed a tree. Humans found a way to tame the magic of the trees. And if indeed the weirwoods were normal trees, then the three singers in Highgarden, the three weirwoods that are so conjoined that appear as one, would be an impressive sight to behold. Three massive oaks so entangled that look like one huge tree. And also, they would share the root system, making them indeed one organism. Even as weirwoods, all three are considered to be the heart tree, not only one. I don't believe the three singers were planted by Garth, because I think the three singers were Garth. Thing is, we do have stories about Garth that point to a human. We have stories about lords and common men alike, offering up their virgin daughters to him wherever he went so their crops may ripen and their trees grow heavy with fruit and any maiden he deflowered delivered strong sons and fair daughters. And when in the story incest is just Wednesday evening, having sex with a tree doesn't sound that crazy, I know. But the stories sound like there was a man and this whole practice sounds like the foundation for the first night. It's very common for stories to get more magical and exaggerated, but also much together with time. And in this situation, I think we have both. Because if we take a look at his firstborn son, Garth Gardener, we see many similarities. He was the first high king that we know for sure. He too wore a crown of flowers. He too was ruling from atop the mander. And his throne was the oaken seat, a living throne carved into an oak planted by Garth himself. Something very reminiscent of Greensears and the Weirwood Thrones. And from him sprang House Gardener. On top of that, his name is also Garth. If indeed Garth Greenhand was an oak tree, most specifically the three singers, and they made sacrifices to it, like they do with Weirwoods, then someone had to be the person that took care of the tree and made the sacrifices, and all the blood magic related stuff. And the guy with the name Gardener is the perfect person. He is the gardener because he is taking care of it. Kings were considered to be more god than men by their people. They were judges, they were rulers and priests. And they were sent by the gods. They were the children of the gods. And they were magical. The figure mingling around with every woman was the first gardener, but the green god that needed blood and was dying every autumn was the tree. All these famous kids of Garth sound like the offsprings of the first night custom. Kids from these couplings were not just king kids of the king, they were the kids of the gods. At that time and age, the first night was very important and much more than a quickie for the king. It was a blessing and magic was involved and magic was passed to all these children. The oaken seed also sounds like a tree planted by an acorn from the three singers. Through time, the different stories and people involved became a big, colorful and exaggerated myth, like in every mythology. Because every culture creates and tells stories because myths, legends, folklore help us understand how people perceive the world and nature around them. This is exactly why mythology changes and evolves. 
to fit with the period and to be more entertaining. In this case, people mixed and adapted the story of Garth accordingly to the era and place. In the current timeline, they don't believe in magic anymore, so the real Garth was just a powerful king, and all the magic involved was amplified and turned into a mysterious green deity. That's all for the first episode, leave your own theories and thoughts about Garth and whatever else you want to talk about. If you stuck till the end of the episode, thank you very much for listening, I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, then tune in for the next one, in which I will talk about Rowan Goldtree and her alleged son, Lan the Clever.